Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. This is the American Veteran Show. Proud to finally say these two words. Welcome home. Dedicated to those who have worn the uniform. Tremendous national asset. Dedicated to our active duty men and women. They came not as conquerors, but as liberators. Dedicated to presenting issues, topics, and interviews highlighting their commitment to our country. I want to thank the courageous men and women who've served their country in uniform. Less than 1% of the population of our country chooses to serve our country in the military. And the other 99% of us, we owe them. Online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephen Tubbs. Welcome to this week's edition of the American Veteran Show. Thank you so much for your time on this Sunday. And, of course, I don't want to start out with the negative, but there is an end date to this program. Our final program for the American Veteran Show after seven seasons is Sunday, October 29th. So I'm really glad to have the opportunity to do several more episodes with you, and it has been an honor and a privilege most certainly. We couldn't do this program without our presenting sponsor, Attorney John Boson at Boson Law, B-O-E-S-E-N Law, BosonLaw.com, fighting on behalf of veterans every single day. Give them a call, 303-999-9999, or again, BosonLaw.com. We have the opportunity to talk with the United States Marine Corps veteran. He is also an author, and he has come out with a sequel to his first book, the Rifle. This is The Rifle 2. Please welcome to the program, Andrew Biggio. It's a, a pleasure to have you on the American Veteran Show, and thank you so much for your sacrifice, Semper Fi. Hoorah. It's good to be here. Listen, I'm really enjoying this this book. Um, we're going to get into a couple of the, the different specific um, kind of chapters or whatever, but if you had to give those people who are, are we're lucky enough that they're tuned in right now, give me an elevator speech. Maybe do you start with your first book, what it's about, and then why there is a sequel? Yeah, you know, um, The Rifle, it's, you know, not a book about a, a, like the uh, nomenclature or the mm-hmm. history of a certain rifle, but it's about the men who carried the rifle, and that's the M1 Grant during World War II. And I think what separates my book about World War II from every other millions of books written on World War II, but it's a story about a veteran um, of the youngest generation of veterans in this country saying goodbye to the oldest generation of veterans in this country, which are the World War II veterans, uh, because it's a race against time right now to even find a World War II veteran. And I got to sit in front of them from young veteran to old veteran on what they could pass on to me to how to live a successful life after military service, after combat, um, trials and tribulations of just life in general. And I did it with a microphone, not necessarily a real microphone, but the microphone I used 
which was the key to their story, was the M1 rifle, the M1 Grand, the common uh, rifle issued back then in the 1940s. Andrew Biggio is our guest. His sequel to his first book, The Rifle, The Rifle 2, Back to the Battlefield, and uh, it is put out by Regnery History, Regnery Publishing, of course, um, like us here at at 710, uh, under the media umbrella, the corporate ownership of Salem Media Group. Again, The Rifle 2, Back to the Battlefield, Andrew Biggio, B-I-G-G-I-O. It's available now wherever you purchase books, put out, again, by our sister company, Regnery History. You know, you had the opportunity and I know you would agree, and and I was sharing a story just before we started. Um, you know, I've been able to just it's the, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy on earth. You know, to be able to to talk with literally over over the course of the last 25 years or so. You know, hundreds if not thousands of veterans. But Andrew, there's something about that greatest generation. And when you talk about you know the clock is ticking, the, that they're in the twilights of their lives. I mean, aren't we the fortunate ones? For sure, you know, and it's. I look at my two kids who will never get to hold a conversation with a World War II veteran. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And I just think about all the other kids across this country and the future generations who will never get to meet a World War II veteran. And, you know, I was born in the 80s. And it wasn't until after my own military service that I kind of woke up and realized who the men and women were wearing the uniform before me. And... I had to rush to get these testimonies, meet these heroes I've been reading about my whole life. And, and everybody can also agree that Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers and Letters from Iwo Jima, these movies really brought awareness to uh, their sacrifice and what they did for us. So, you know, we got to cherish the moments we still have with them. You know, I always tell people, people always reach out to me. Hey, how can I get in touch with a World War II veteran? Or, hey, can you give me uh, Mr. Smith's phone number? And I'd say go to your local nursing home. They're sitting right there. Right. Right. Your story, their stories have never been told. They're not getting fame and accolades. Thanks to authors like me. They're they're They'll probably love a visit in, in whether they were packing boxes and supplying people, or you might just find yourself a guy who earned a silver star in the battle of the bulge. You never know. Yeah. Great, great points. Author Andrew Biggio joins us. We're going to, you know, I'll take as much time as I can from your brother, but I want to start with why the military for you. You know what, From a, as a young kid, I was just always drawn to the military. Um, both my grandfathers each lost a brother in World War II, one who I'm named after, uh, who was my inspiration to, to find out kind of what happened to him. And he was killed in Italy during uh, 1944 with the 34th Infantry Division. And I was named after him. And, you know, I, I knew that. That resonated with me for a little bit. But I think 9-11 really solidified the want to go serve. That was kind of our Pearl Harbor. And uh, in 2006, I enlisted in the Marines. Wow. Uh, Both Iraq and Afghanistan with what you're comfortable in sharing. Talk about your deployments. Oh yeah. I'm comfortable about serving ice cream. I was in a, an (laughs) 0700 ice cream scooper. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I was an infantryman in Iraq and Afghanistan. And um, you know, uh, not necessarily extreme amounts of combat that uh, I saw, you know, I think our biggest threat was IEDs and um, stuff like that compared to some guys who were like in the invasion of Iraq or, you know, so on and so forth. I got there kind of, kind of late, but enough to see sacrifice enough to want to help wounded veterans when I came home and uh, enough to keep patriotism alive and and appreciation for those who wear the uniform. Um, You know, we didn't get the same, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like, we didn't get the same 
disrespect and hatred Vietnam vets got, but we also didn't get the parades and rallies and celebrations World War II veterans got. So mm-hmm. we're kind of like in the middle there. And um, it's just, uh, I think this country's learned a lot of lessons on how to treat veterans because if we don't have a volunteer army, your ass is getting drafted in a way. Yeah. So um, because of what our politicians are foreign foreign affairs uh dictate you know so it's good to have uh people who want to be there who want to be next to you in that foxhole or in that base somewhere overseas and um i don't regret a single day i served um i know that what it's like to hand an iraqi child a clean bottle of water is similar to giving a playstation to a kid in america you know and (laughs) i I love my service yeah right now what are you doing we'll have our our, obviously the the program as much as i can get from you uh in our next segment i want to get more into the book but you're you're involved a lot with nonprofits uh in your home state of massachusetts yeah when i started to meet guys with these traumatic brain injuries uh that were almost rendering them paralyzed because of the evolution of war with ieds i started doing motorcycle charity rides for severely wounded veterans so they could get more help than just what the va could provide financially so redoing their houses, buying them brand new cars, getting them recreational needs. Every year I put on Massachusetts' largest motorcycle charity ride known as the Boston's Wounded Vet Run, which became a federally chartered nonprofit about 10 years ago. That's awesome. Uh, give it the website. Can people find out more? Theyfoughtweride.com. Theyfoughtweride.com. And I would be remiss if I, if I asked you, well, what do you really do now in real life? Good God, man. Tell us all what you do now. I'm a Boston police officer now. For uh, I've been a police officer for 10 years. Bless you. And uh, so over the last decade, I'm sure it's just been smooth sailing. You know, it's just been easy peasy post George Floyd, et cetera. I'm not going to get into politics with you unless you want to go there. But my God, thank you for your sacrifice and service. Iraq, Afghanistan, United States Marine Corps. I don't know if maybe the last few years has been even tougher for you as a police officer in this country. Yeah, it's tough to go from a uniform that everyone loves to a uniform that, you know, 40, 50, 60 percent like, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's tough. And then to do all these great achievements and fight for your country and serve and live live life by the book of the laws as a respectable citizen and then have to deal with some of the dreads of society and someone who's never lifted a finger for their community or country and have – the whole country and politicians and social media back up that person rather than the person who's lived life the correct way. You know, it's, it's such a weird thing that um, the rules and laws and support is set up to uh, protect the criminal rather than um, the guy who puts on a badge every day to give it, who would potentially give his life for you as you sleep in your home. Please know you got a home here, and we'll continue in our next segment with author Andrew Biggio, current police officer, Boston, Massachusetts, former Marine, always a Marine, deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. And we'll get more into his book, The Rifle Two: Back to the Battlefield. We continue with Andrew coming up next. This is the American Veteran Show, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Now, back to the American Veteran Show. Here's Stephan Tubbs. We continue this week's edition of the American Veteran Show with a new friend of the program. He's uh, a United States Marine. He's a current police officer in Boston. He also is an author, and that's why we have him on, because it's a fantastic book. I, I, full disclosure, I'm not finished with it, but I have started uh, The Rifle 2. 
Back to the Battlefield. It's author Andrew Biggio, B-I-G-G-I-O, and the book is put out by Regnery History, one of our sister companies underneath the Salem Media Group. Andrew, I, I know that we could talk, well, let's talk 10 minutes about, you know, uh, the rifle, but in this case, specifically because it's recently come out, the rifle to your sequel to this, how would you say it is different? And did you learn anything new writing actually a sequel? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I wanted to make the book, you know, Rifle Volume 1 is all stories of valor, stories you may not have heard of, amazing stories of overcoming such tragedy during war and moving on with your life. And then Rifle 2 is a little bit um, of the same unbelievable stories. And then I did a, got a little controversial talk about veterans who suffered from alcoholism coming home, guys who came home and were complete liars, guys that came home and did jail time. Yeah. Um uh, attempted light, uh, suicide, you know, things like that, that their lives were so bumpy in the beginning and then where they were able to straighten themselves out. So they go World War II, tough, civilian life tough, and then they were able to reach age 100. And I think that's also a great message for both veterans and uh, the common person in this country who might be dealing with the same, that uh, even the greatest generation is not perfect. Talk to me about the time when you buy a 1945 M1 Garand rifle, because obviously it's in your book titles. Uh, take us through that. Give us a background of, of when you purchased it, why you purchased it, and what it looks like today, and you know what I mean by that. Yeah, they so well, my uncle who was killed in the war, you know, my grandmother always told me she had kept uh, his letters that he wrote home before he was killed, and... You know, when I was having a little survivor's guilt since I was named after him, I decided to break open those letters. And the first letter he wrote home to his mother was, Dear Mom, today we fired the M1 Grand Rifle. Mm. And he starts telling his mother about this rifle, like as if she's even going to know what he's talking about. I mean, that's how excited he was about this piece of equipment. But right then and there, I needed to hold what he held. I wanted to feel what he felt and connect with my long-lost relative who died in combat. So I purchased this M1 Grand Rifle. And I was kind of like, okay, what next? Who will appreciate this also as much <laughs> right. as I would? Right. And I brought it to my neighbor who fought in the Battle of Okinawa. And I put it in his hands. And he was 92 at the time. He was feeble. He was old. He was bound to his recliner. And, oh, my God, the, the, the smile from ear to ear I got with him. Instantly? Instantly, him, you know, shouldering that rifle, putting it in his arms again. And we talked about the Battle of Okinawa for four hours, maybe. And I said, you know, his name was Joe Drago. He served in I Company, 22nd Marine Regiment. And I said, Joe, sign this rifle. I always want to remember this moment, please. And he almost didn't want to because he's like, oh, it's such a beautiful weapon. I want to mark up such a beautiful gun. Mm -hmm. And he signed his name on it, Joe Drago. 6th Marine Division, Okinawa. When I left his house and I looked down at that signature, I said, that was the best therapeutic session anyone could have asked for. Yeah. I need to collect as many names as possible. I was in a, I challenged myself on a race against time on a clock. And to this day, you can't even see the wood of the rifle. It is covered in 320 names. I was telling you before we started, you know, three of those hundreds of names. I've had the good fortune here in Colorado to to know uh, Bob White and um, and a Tuskegee Airman. I mean, it's just it it's just awesome. And 
it's interesting how the piece that you buy to remember your late uncle and it leads you on this path. I, I think it's just, it's fascinating. And I hope you know what I mean by this. It's so simple on the surface, you know, it's so, so simple. And, you know, you got the the signatures, the likes of James Harvey, who is, you know, a proud Colorado resident, uh, Tuskegee Airman, first top gun ever. You've got a, a couple of others from, from Colorado, Bob White and, you know, Don Stratton, who was a survivor of the USS Arizona. I hope you take that with the love that I mean it. It's a simple signature on, you know, an antique, you know, relic weapon. But man, what you open up and what not only that they did for you, but what you did for these these individuals that that used this weapon. I mean, it's it's fascinating to me in its simplicity. Yeah, you know, it's it's not just a name, it's their legacy, their story is carried on forever. You know, now wherever I bring this rifle when I do presentations at libraries, museums, schools, uh, civic organizations, clubs, VFWs, you know, parties, celebrations, Veterans Day, Memorial Day, I'll pick a name from that rifle and tell their story. Hmm. 320, you say? Yes, sir. And how many of those? And you can boast. If I picked a name, you could do it off the top of your head. Do you need notes? And that's not a criticism. 98%. I think other than a few who, you know, where I was in nursing homes and they were suffering mm-hmm. dementia or Alzheimer's and, you know, I wasn't allowed to photograph or video because of, you know, health reasons, uh, privacy yeah. reasons. I think literally 98% of the men, I could tell you their unit, their division, who they were and their story. That gets you into the Hall of Fame if you were a baseball player. <laughs> That's pretty yeah. great. The book, yeah. The Rifle 2, Back to the Battlefield. It's author Andrew Biggio, B-I-G-G-I-O. A lot of the men that you interviewed, I'm sure, whether they wanted to admit it or not, Andrew, uh, suffered or suffer from post-traumatic stress. Did you pick that up? Definitely, definitely. And, and back then it was kind of you know, swept under the rug. Yeah, yeah. back then, battle fatigue or shell shock. Um, did you feel like you opened up some, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but I mean – you're asking them questions about their past and maybe they haven't thought about it in decades or as you and I both know, they may have thought about it 10 minutes ago, but they didn't let anybody know. Did you feel like, you know, you, you got the, the, the straight story, the straight scoop. I did. I think a lot of them um, now are, were able to admit it, but back in the day they weren't too proud to. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the guys didn't want to die with their secrets. Now, uh, some of them have outlived their spouse and feel more comfortable talking to another veteran rather than trying to admit to their family of the things they suffered and saw and did and might've viewed the, themselves weak in front of their spouses or children. Um, so I, I think I did get a lot of stuff that war wasn't just black and white by them. Isn't it amazing too, when you look back and, you know, between the differences, obviously, and there are myriad differences, but your service and your time in Iraq and Afghanistan, you look back at, at that generation, and I'm sure that you had at least at times, if not a lot, you had at least some decent time and communication back home with your family. You know, these guys, I mean, it was it was sometimes on troop ships, as you know, 30 days over. They don't know where they're going. Many times going to destination unknown. When the war is over, VE Day or VJ Day, it's usually another 30 days or so. I mean, 
you know, there's positives and negatives to that, man. I, I, I've talked to many veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan who say, yeah, we wished we had 30 days to kind of decompress. Instead, you're 72 hours at times from from, you know, a battle zone in Iraq and you're walking down 72 hours later down a grocery store aisle. I mean, to me, there's positives and negatives about both. Yeah, it's it's definitely and the click of your heels, you're back in the America, America, you didn't have like a 30 day boat ride and then go to a base and have to, you know, all that stuff, you know? So yeah, there's two good, you know, being able to FaceTime your, your wife right off the battlefield. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's, it's, I don't know what's good or what's bad or what's negative. You know, I just, the war is changing and, uh, Hopefully it doesn't change for the worse, that's for sure. Amen. Our guest for the hour here on the American Veteran Show, Andrew Biggio, his book, The Rifle 2, Back to the Battlefield. Uh, his last name spell, in case you want to Google it and order it via Amazon or wherever you buy, buy books, B-I-G-G-I-O. Again, The Rifle 2, Back to the Battlefield. In our next segment with Andrew, I don't want to focus, and hopefully we're, we're, we're well on our way to not uh, focusing only on you know negative news, but there's a chapter in the rifle too I want to get into, and it's called it's basically stolen valor, and you may think stolen valor is only recently, like in the past few decades, or maybe even back to Vietnam, but this story out of World War II just goes to show you sometimes you just don't know who you can believe. This is the American Veteran Show. Stay with us, AmericanVeteranShow.com. Welcome back to the American Veteran Show. We continue now with Stefan Tubbs. Thanks for being with us on this Sunday for the American Veteran Show. We're midway through the program, and our guest is Andrew Biggio. He is uh, an author. He's written The Rifle and now The Rifle 2, Back to the Battlefield. This is a sequel to his first. He's also a proud United States Marine veteran deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan. I uh, had said earlier in the program, I'm not through with the book but i'm really really enjoying it and i highly suggest if you want to see you know somebody that can tell you the way it is and then in andrew's case just interviewing so many amazing world war ii veterans all surrounding a 1945 m1 garand rifle that he has had signed more than 300 times and brother I, i greatly appreciate you know the time on this sunday and i hope i can sell you at least a few more books i want to go to chapter seven the title of the chapter is A Case of Stolen Valor. I don't want to focus only on this one chapter. However, I told you off the air that a similar kind of case um, has happened to me and involving a World War II veteran, but kind of in a broad sense, outline Chapter 7 for folks. Yeah, you know, I think every historian, every author, Every researcher can relate that we've all been burned uh, over time by a veteran. Um, At first, I was extremely embarrassed to even admit it, humiliated, thinking it was going to ruin my uh, career as a accredited historian or author or or someone who's reliable. But you know, at the end of the day, we actually we've all been lied to. And I had a veteran who really got me good. And as a police officer, I tend to be pretty good uh, detective wise to find out if someone's full of it. But this guy had been doing it from, since probably the 60s or 70s. 
and he had mastered his story and mastered his, this unit history of the unit he was in, in his, you know, combat chronicle in Normandy. And, uh, he got me good. And when I, first brought the rifle one volume one on a book tour to Europe. I invited him to come to Europe with me, him and four other veterans. So luckily I had three other legitimate guys and you know, this guy lied about being in the 101st airborne in Normandy. And he was actually in different books that were already published before mine. He was on Um, rosters and lists and reunions for the 101st airborne. So, you know, when I'm doing my research, 75 years later, 78 years later, you know, I'm relying on these other piece documents that people have already been fooled on. And, you know, when, by the time I went to his home state to pull his records and found out that uh, he wasn't in D-Day and he didn't jump into Normandy and I, I had him in Normandy and, you know, he couldn't tell me anything compared to the other guys too. And, and it wasn't a case of bad memory or dementia because a lot of the landscape, a lot of the buildings are untouched in the same enormity. It's, it's, it's rural farmland that has not been touched in 80 years and very identifiable to what it was back then uh, through black and white images. And, you know, it just turned out he just was an, a lonely old man who was a veteran of World War II, but just none of the accolades he said. Right. And, you know, and just to interject, you know, uh, in uh, this chapter, A Case of Stolen Valor, from the book, The Rifle to Back to the Battlefield, you know, you... You actually, it just, it, to me, the chapter reads that it was almost, you knew it, now looking back, it's obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. that it was almost too good to be true, everything this guy was saying, because I was, I was telling some colleagues here about this particular chapter, and it, it's almost like this guy had the equivalent military experience-wise in World War II of hitting a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth uh, of Game 7 of the World Series, you know, scoring the winning goal in the Stanley Cup final and, and you know, I don't know, kicking kicking the game-winning field goal as time expired in the Super Bowl. But you also, I brother, I feel for you because I got duped big too. But it's like you, you've done your best and you want to believe. And he gave you enough clues that it seemed like it was it was all legitimate. And then they also can always go back to, and this has happened to me a lot, and I'm sure for you as well, I think it was 1973, the fire in St. Louis where the archives and and the the documents were burned in a massive fire. I've heard that several times that, well, this is why I can't prove this because it was lost in the fire. And that's sounds, I mean, from obviously what you wrote, that was part of this story too. Absolutely. And that, that's the, you know, there's still some sort of stuff, especially in, in certain veterans home States where you can find stuff that weren't burned in the fire uh, and that's where I ended up getting his was his home state he enlisted out of in Rhode Island. Uh, and I got the real scoop on him. And you know what? Mm-hmm. If he was just honest with me. Right. I would have still taken I would still would have taken him to Europe. You know, he was still a hero to me. But these right. guys have these guys have stuck with the same story and the same lives for so long that, you know, they wanted their families to believe they were heroes. They wanted to be part of that greatest generation that that um, parade in Times Square and, and they just, everybody wanted to come home a hero. Nobody wanted to be the guy who didn't see combat or was in the, the rear echelon. Everybody wanted to be the one that stormed Hitler's house. And yeah, because the movies and the propaganda and the newspapers portrayed that. And it was so easy to lie back then because they were, you know, guys could just write letters home to their moms and say, Hey, dear mom, today I took eight German prisoners and I got right. a Luger. Right. And then like, yeah, 
And there was no background check because it was part of the war effort to keep promoting how awesome we were. And, and, uh, my buddy, you know, fell into that. And plus he had some other, other, uh, scenarios at home that led him to want, still want to be a hero. I'm telling you the way you lay it out, it's excellent. Again, you can read this friends and, and what, what, uh, Andrew's referring to with some family issues, it's jaw dropping. It's, it's tragic. And, uh, again, an excellent book, the rifle Two: back to the battlefield. Um, the other thing, just a postscript on that, the, the way you find out you are actually in France, right. And you get the email that, reveals to you yeah no the guy that you're with right now didn't do this didn't do this didn't do this oh yeah i was so mad i was so mad i said how this guy how could he do this to me how could he try to ruin me before my my reputation has even started my career has even started as an author and and i'm just an idiot who doesn't do research and just takes anyone who says they're a veteran to normally how could he do this to me he could ruin me and i just you know you were human you know, you, you were. Know, I want to read the final paragraph, and I want to ask you this, and then um, uh, we'll take a break, and then a couple more segments. You end chapter the chapter seven the following way. He was buried with a chest full of medals he hadn't earned. As I peered into the casket, I couldn't help but feel that while Mel may have been a liar, at least he was my liar. What did you mean by that? It meant that at the end of the day, I forgave him and um, I defend him. You know, um, he was still a World War II veteran. He still did his service. Uh, He had such a screwed up life back home, um, stuck with a a wife that was a complete hoarder to the point the, you know, fire department had to break out the windows to get garbage out of the house. Um, He had a lot of family trouble with his kids. Um, he grew up in a, a really bad, you know, uh, household with all yeah. sorts of stuff like sexual abuse and things like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, when we came back from Normandy and he said, oh, you're like the grandson I never had, you know, mm. it, it just it hit me different to say, like, you know what? No wonder why this guy's lying. He's this is his way to cope with his trauma. And, you know, stolen valor is not, not a new phenomenon. Guys are have been doing it probably since the stone ages, you know, probably, um, probably. I would have no. killed that woolly mammoth with my bare hands, you know? <laughs> right. Um, what do you think in, in the minute we have left, uh, just real quick, what do you think? Can you say that this is worse than, than say somebody modern day, somebody, you know, me pretending that I was in the Gulf war and I, you know, earned a bronze star. Is it worse today that people do the stolen valor or in your opinion back in the day, or is it all the same? I think where you cross over from just, you know, barstool talk that you're a war hero and you start taking a tangible benefit, that's where you cross over to the worst, yeah. you know, taking free money, free food, trips. Uh, you know, trips to Europe, you know, that's where you cross the line. And um, so they're, they're equally compared today and back then. So, I yeah. mean, the 70th anniversary of D-Day, President Obama had a guy that he was honoring right there on CNN on the news. And the guy was never on Indy day. He was a liar too. Yeah. Amazing. We'll continue our conversation Omaha beach together. Yeah. Just, just amazing. We'll continue with author Andrew Biggio, his book, the rifle Two: back to the battlefield. This is the American veteran show, American veteran show.com.
This is the American Veteran Show, online at AmericanVeteranShow.com. Here's Stephan Tubbs. We wrap up this week's edition of the American Veteran Show, a terrific hour with United States Marine Corps veteran author Andrew Biggio. Oh, did I mention he's uh, currently a police officer in Boston, Massachusetts? Man, I've really enjoyed the hour, and thank you. The book, The Rifle 2, Back to the Battlefield. If you are just clicking on with us, Andrew, I just want to, just so you can give somebody a, a thumbnail sketch, if they're just hearing us for the final segment. This all starts when you get a 1945 M1 Grand Rifle, you take it to your neighbor, who was a World War II veteran, and you have him sign it. I don't think there's probably any way at that moment when Joe Drago signs the M1 that you would be embarking on this journey to where now there's more than 300 signatures on that rifle. I never thought it would spark to 300 names. I never thought it would spark to two best-selling books. I never thought it would spark to bring veterans back to their battlefields, documentaries on YouTube. It's, I'm so damn grateful. Yeah. What do you think you, and this is one of those um, like uh, Oprah Winfrey type questions I admitted up front. What do you think you've learned about you, whether it's you as a Marine, you as a father, you as a husband, you as a citizen of this great country? What have you learned between, you know, your first book and second or, or combine them? What have you learned about doing these these incredible journeys that you've been you've been fortunate enough to take? Man, such a loaded question. Um, I know. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's there's so many things I learned about me. And I, I think a lot of it is my purpose. Um, you know, I think this, that I was here in the last stages of some of these men's life to complete their final chapter of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think that I've brought awareness. My jo- I'm, You know, I'm talking about God's mission for me is to bring awareness of these men's sacrifice to so many people in this country, especially our youth. I mean, I have so many followers who are between 14 and 18 years old who are not getting this kind of history in school. You know, they're getting it from my Instagram page. They're getting it real time. They're getting it when I film a World War II veteran returning to a cemetery in France. I mean, they're just not getting this in school, but they're getting it when they put their phones in their face. And I learned that that's probably part of my mission in life. The book, the Rifle 2, Back to the Battlefield. Uh, you can get this book on Amazon. It's perfect for the holidays. If you, as I mentioned earlier, you have someone who's into this type of genre, it's a fascinating read from the highest of highs and the laughter to the to the tears to uh, just, it, it runs the gamut. You know, one thing that I know is not lost on on you, a, a guy like you specifically, you know, I, I think the the youngest World War II veteran that, that I ever, well, let me, let me rephrase in service. The guy was 15 years old, Andrew, 15 lied. Of course, some forged signature. Maybe he was growing a mustache or a beard earlier than his, than his uh, fellow teenagers. But man, to think what they did and you've been to France, you know, you've been all over, but you know, specifically France and those guys that, you know, if D-Day, if operation overlord is not a success, I mean, you know, I, I, I get laughed at all the time when I say, you know, who knows what the world's history looks like, right? But especially those, there is a reason why, my friend, they call it the greatest generation. And I just don't know if, if teenagers today could answer the call. I don't know. 
Yeah, I like to think that um, hard times create hard people, and when pushed when pushed to the limit, that they'll they'll do exactly what the youngest generation did. And you know, I saw a lot of it in Iraq and Afghanistan of guys who wanted to be there and wanted to wear the same uniform their grandfathers wore. And I I hope the general public, when when pushed in that direction, would do the same. Yeah, what in the veterans that you've come across, whether they've signed the rifle or not. What what's the do you recall maybe off the top of your head you know a young one like I said fifteen I don't know I I don't know of any fourteen year olds so what was the youngest maybe that you came across when they actually enlisted? Yeah, I think I had I had a few of the sixteen lie a uh, couple of guys that lied when they were sixteen. I had a, a few a lot of guys who had their parents join or forged their parents signature when they were mm-hmm. seventeen. Mm-hmm. And then what is the uh, what about the ages of? Um, of the people you say most of most of the signatures the authors who penned those those signatures they've they've passed what's 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 your oldest veteran you have on the rifle and and hopefully you know you've, you've got a few of them that are still around henry narashevitz was 107 years old when he signed the rifle what was he that was, like when he was still driving too <laughs> Uh, heaven, help, heaven help that neighborhood, but I mean, hell, 107 yeah. and driving. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he told me Harvard University was actually doing studies on him. He was the oldest living man in Massachusetts at the time. He was the oldest, definitely the oldest World War II veteran. Um, and we, he didn't skip a beat. He could understand I didn't have to repeat myself. He didn't ask me to speak up louder. I mean, I was talking to him the way I'm talking to you. He was just wow. really a freak of nature, I like to call it. And he was a field artillery guy in, in World War II from Normandy all the way to Germany in the Battle of the Bulge and was a great man. Henry Narashevitz from Lowell, Massachusetts. 107. When when you are in, you know, kind of Q&A mode and, and you're, you're researching these guys and then you, you've been able to meet them, do you ever get into, hey, what's your secret to success, longevity, et cetera? Is is I don't know if you ask that kind of question. Um, I I don't ask it because now I know what they do. These guys stay so busy; they just keep going. They they went from military service to uh, a career to retiring from that career to start another career from retiring from that career to doing another hobby. They do not stop. That is one of the key things I learned: is they don't stop. They don't fart around. They they just stay so busy, whether it's in their associations, their divisions, multiple careers. Um, a lot of them have stayed active and kept their mind off the negative. Yeah, keep busy. Real quick, we're wrapping up with author Andrew Biggio, his book, The Rifle 2, Back to the Battlefield. How do you do what you do? Like, literally, I mean, it's none of my business, but I mean, you're a dad, you're a husband, you are a police officer, and you're doing all of this. I mean, my God, man, <laughs> speaking of keeping busy. I don't know how I do it either. <laughs> I do it either, honestly. I, I mean, it's, and like, like, I mean, your, your fellow members of the police force, I mean, are they telling you, you know, quit this and do the other thing full time? No, I think because like we talked about how hard policing's become, I think people are, are glad you can be attached to something outside the police job, something that you don't take the job home with you because you have so much other stuff going on. And I think, that should be a lot of police officers should be doing that. Don't take the job home with you and don't have it be the only thing you got going. Yeah. Uh, as we wrap up final question, I'm wondering what's next for you. 
a lot of time, spend a lot of time with my two kids, my two sons who I had during this whole project, who I, you know, I started the rifle project before I had kids and now they're four and two years old. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, doing some family time now. No rifle three. <laughs> no, no, not yet. Not yet. I, I just have this sneaking suspicion from our hour with author Andrew Biggio. I have a sneaking suspicion, you know, you're not going to hang it up. Uh, after this no, definitely not you know and if i'm going to take away from what these veterans taught me i'm not going to hang it up entirely but you know i even thought about doing the rifle three uh and then doing a whole german veteran chronicle to see what like there's two sides of every story i wish you the best of luck man thank you thank you for the time today i greatly appreciate it and again you can get it on amazon perfect for the holidays gift giving anniversaries or just because you like to read and you love this genre author andrew biggio semper fi marine and thank you for the time best of luck uh with the uh the book right now and all your endeavors in the future semper fi thank you thank you andrew biggio again the book the rifle Two: back to the battlefield by our friends over at regnery history regnery publishing you can also uh, find him on instagram as uh, he alluded to and just pick it up i mean you can find it the website the www.iirifle.com the www.iirifle.com that wraps up this week's edition of the american veteran show for producer michael arpaio I'm Stephen Tubbs. Have a terrific rest of your week, and remember our troops. The American Veterans Show is a copyrighted production of Mountain Time Media Group, LLC. All rights reserved. For more information, visit AmericanVeteranShow.com. And join us next week for another edition of The American Veteran Show. The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp.